But how perceptive of you? Huh? I said how perceptive of you? Yeah. Actually, at first I did it subconsciously. But I mean, that's what I thought. That's right. That's right. I got the blue. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Plug in. Uh-oh. I'm going to get all my... Uh-oh. Come on. <gasps> it didn't begin? Yes, and that's right. Where'd it go? Yeah. 
want to sing like nobody's listening Before I lay my body down I want to give like I have plenty I want to love like I'm not afraid I want to be the one I was meant to be I want to be the way I was made glad you are here. Um, I think Joe has a few announcements and then we will have some worship time. Thank you. You had to point it way down, didn't you? (laughs) Good morning. There we are. All right. um, There's just a few announcements. The rest are in your bulletin. There's a lot of inserts in your bulletin, so make sure you read those. Um, Today's the last day to sign up for the Parents' Night Out on Saturday, February 13th. Uh, That'll be from 4 to 7. Children's children, infants to age 12 are welcome. Uh, They'll have dinner for them and uh, a lot of activities. Uh, Also, Friday night, the 19th, uh, from 6 to 8, we're going to have a family game night. So bring your favorite game. Let's come in and have enjoy uh, each other's company, fellowship, and it'll be a great time. Uh, Children's Ministry will be visiting the Golden Living Nursing Center on February 27th at 9.30 in the morning. And all ages are welcome. We want to, we if we're going to invade there, I guess, and go visit all the seniors. So that'll be a great time. Uh, a teacher is needed for the second to third grade Sunday school class. And if you love children and be willing to serve in this area, please make sure you contact Rachel Riley uh, and the Children's Ministry and it's MuncieAlliance.org. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. <clears throat> hey, Jerry, will you bring the electric down and the drum monitor? Thank you. Would you guys uh, stand with us, and we're going to have some time of worship. And God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you've called us your children, that you've you've saved us, that you uh, continue to uh, pour yourself into us and, and God so this morning we just want to lift up your name and we want to we want to praise you as Lord of our lives as king of this earth and um, and God we would just recognize who we are um, as your children as your as your beloved um, thank you father and it's in Christ's name amen <clears throat>
Because you beckon me I am free to see Who you are And who I'm sent to be
outside your eyes The world awakens in the light of the day I look up to the sky and say You're beautiful
this week uh, that is talking about speaking to people who don't know God honestly and addressing our fears about doing that and uh, one of the one of the things that he was mentioning in this book about if we could just have this new fresh revelation every day of our own excitement for eternity and what that looks like in our own life and uh, he was talking about Revelation 21 and 22 and I just wanted to read it because I feel like a lot of these words that we're seeing this morning are all intertwined in the glory of what we're going to experience in the end and so I just like to read a little bit of it this is John um, at the very end after all we've had all this turmoil and end times and he says then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And it talks about the new Jerusalem and goes on to talk about the magnificence of the place that we will be. Um, this as well as that throne um, that's in the center of this place that we will be that out of this flows this living water and there are many instances in the Bible that talk about the water being just a flowing um, either out of the throne or the fact that this this lamb that's going to be on the throne is in us and so we have this water available to us to just flow out of us and I was thinking about the song we said that we were singing earlier about that's, that's saying um, that we are free to know who we are and who we're meant to be. And um, I just want to I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that. This is who we are, that we are meant to be this vessel that's filled up with living water um, to overflowing. And I just, and it even talks about later on in Revelation, it talks about how um, his name will be on our forehead. And, And I feel like that just, you know, how many things in my daily life are... I have in my face that are not him or I don't know I just I just feel like we need to really reflect on that and and what it means to us in our lives and our individual hearts and ask God who who am I Lord who 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 have you called me what is my name What does that look like while I have this limited time here on earth? I don't know how many times I hear about somebody that I know 
that suddenly just is gone. And we are we are limited. We don't know what's going to happen. And we we Lord, we want to be aware of your presence today, here and now. We want to be aware of your presence as we sit and as we rise and as we walk and as we talk. And we want your love for us to be so overwhelming that it overflows into the people around us. I just ask, Father, for that. That you would press into us, Lord, and show us what we need to know. your glory show us show us your power show us show us your glory this morning that is our prayer that you would open up the floodgates Father your spirit would pour down Lord you would flood this place with who you are Father that we might get a clear sense of who we are Lord this morning we come with many needs Our greatest one is our need of you, our need of your guidance, your direction, your purpose in our life. 
Father, we need your touch this morning. Lord, I'm overwhelmed by the the message of the songs, by the message of your word, knowing where we are going. Father, just the importance of what Paul tells us this morning. But Lord, we need you above anything and everything. Father, there are those in our midst who are hurting this morning, who have decisions that they that aren't easy. They need wisdom, not sure what to do. Father, would you guide their steps? Would you give them a peace? Father, relationships that need healed, lives that need put back together. Father, we continue to pray for the Stoltzes and for your touch upon Vince. Father, we know that your son died for our physical needs. So we pray for healing. Out of obedience, out of faith. Knowing that with just a simple touch, just a word, that you restore our physical needs. Father, we pray this morning for just a peace in our country. Father, that a nation that one time sought you out is now seeming to walk away, to shun you. Father, rise your church up. That we might be the army, that we might be the voice, that we might be the the voice of reason, the voice of truth. Father, not so much the way what we say, but the way we live. Father, that we might be your ambassadors. This morning, Lord, speak to us. Teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we were... Considering how Paul was, had painted a picture for us of, of someone walking a tightrope. And as they're walking this tightrope, we see that there's a, a dangerous cavern on either side of them. Uh, and uh, that as believers, we are walking, in a sense, on a tightrope. That our lives uh, need to be in balance. That it's easy for us as as Christians to get out of balance and that on one side of us is this deep cavern of legalism where we have the list of what you can and cannot do and we continue to add to that list and it continues to grow and we continue to call people on it and we point out other people's mistakes. We don't often see our own in legalism. It's usually pointing out what someone else is doing or not doing. And so there's the danger of of tipping our life into that cavern of of living legalistically. But then Paul also warned us in Galatians last week that there's another danger on the other side of, of using our freedom to actually indulge sin. 
And that's where we look at ourselves and we say, well, I am free to do this. I can do this, I can do that, I'm free, grace covers it all, I can do whatever I want. Paul said there's a danger of being legalistic and pointing out other people's sins. And and there's a danger of being uh, indulgent in our freedom and thinking we can do anything we want. Paul said there needs to be balance. That with legalism we think everything is a sin and there's no freedom. And with that indulgence then nothing is a sin and everything can happen. And we need to find that, that balance in the middle. That, that Paul is saying don't fall on either side. So how do we maintain that balance? How do we, how do we maintain balance between legalism and indulging our freedom? Well, if you watch the tightrope walker, they have something with them that I always thought, man, that would be almost harder. They have this incredibly long pole, and it seems like the higher off the ground they are, the longer the pole gets. And, and that pole is actually weighted. I didn't look up to see how much they weigh, but I know they're fairly heavy. Um, and so you're standing on this very thin wire, this, this tight rope, and, and you have this long pole extended. And I, I said, well, you know, the pole must add something to them, must be some aid, because they're not just doing it to look good. And so I figured out that the pole being weighted actually almost weights them down. I mean, it, it makes the mass and, the, and their own weight um, <clears throat> actually holds them down, as well as keeps their center of gravity. Because the tipping point, if you don't have that pole, you don't have to tip very far to where you're just over. But if you have the pole, you can tip quite a ways and, and still maintain a center of gravity, maintain uh, a tipping point. And so they carry these poles in order to, to uh, aid them. And, and kind of the heavier the pole, the, the almost the easier it is to adjust their weight wherever they are. So when the wind kicks up, they can adjust their weight to, to move them back to center. Now, what do we have to move us back to center? Because sometimes in our own life, we can get off center. We, we can, can begin, maybe we haven't fallen into the, into the cavern, maybe we haven't gone to, but, but we're leaning and, and maybe we're leaning towards legalism to where everything is sin and your sin and I see your sin and let me tell you what your sin is. Or maybe we're leaning the other way to where, oh, I'm not so bad. This, this isn't so bad. I, I've seen worse. There, there are people who are, who are worse than, than I am in, in the way I'm thinking or acting. And we need to maintain that balance. Paul tells us, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, we're going to read the exact same passage we read last week. But instead of looking at the warning, I want us to this time look at the command, look at the instructions that Paul gives us on how to maintain balance. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. And again, we'll be reading from verse 13 through verse 26 through the end of the chapter said, you, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. 
For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature and its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Paul says freedom is definitely not legalism. There is no freedom in a list of man-made rules. There's no, there's no freedom in a, in a watchdog over your shoulder. And, and, and having a legalistic attitude as to how we should live. And the freedom is definitely not indulgence. Doing whatever we want. Because then we are bound to the sin nature. Then it is the sin nature that is calling our shots and we're really not free. Paul is saying that there is a third choice on how to live our lives. Not legalistic, not freedom and indulgence. Not falling to the left, not sliding to the right, but staying on the tightrope. And while he doesn't use the word, what Paul is telling us is this experience of sanctification. This, this experience of being made holy. Of living in accordance with the Holy Spirit. Our true freedom comes from walking the way of the Spirit. comes from keeping in step with the Spirit. He is our balancer. He, he is the thing that, that maintains our center of gravity. When we start to go one way, He can pull us back. When we start to go the other, He can pull us back. And if we are, if we are listening to the Holy Spirit, if we are in tune, if we are, are, are uh, wanting to walk step by step with Him, we will maintain balance. But how do we do that? How, how do we maintain balance and live a, a holy life? Is what really Paul is calling us to do. Three words in this passage that we need to always remember. That we need to have down if we're going to maintain balance. We need to understand the word serve. We need to understand the word crucify. And we need to understand the word step. Those are the three words that we need to understand. And so that first word Paul says at the very beginning in verse 13. He says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, if you're going to maintain balance, instead of indulging the sinful nature and falling into, in, into the, the, freedom, uh, the, the freedom to sin, he says, rather serve one another in love. Serving one another is going to help us maintain balance. It's going to help us maintain and keep in step with where we need to be. That, that word serve is actually the word related to being a slave. So what Paul is saying is, instead of using your freedom to indulge the sinful nature and its passions and its desires, make yourself a slave to one another. 
consider yourself a slave to one another. Now a slave had no rights. A slave did only what they were told. A slave did what was in the best interest of the person over them. And so Paul is saying that when you come, when you look at your own life and when you look at the lives of others, serve one another. Become a slave to one another. Look at what is best for them. Not you. Because if you look at what is best for them, you're not going to slide into legalism because that's not what's best for them. You're not going to slide into indulging your own sinful nature because that's not what's best for them. This is basically the message of the gospel. This, this whole idea of serving is, is, what, is the example that Jesus set for us. Paul tells the Philippians, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant or a slave, being made in human likeness. You see, Jesus set us the example. If we, if we want to live a balanced life, if we want to live a Holy Spirit-filled, led life, then it starts with serving one another. And it starts with understanding that your needs are more important than my needs. That, that your, your desires are more important than my desires. That what you need is, is, is more important than what I need. And you know, if we all do that, then all of our needs are met. And we don't have to worry about my needs. If we serve one another in love, we, we only know what love is. By what Jesus did on the cross. That's the only example of love we need. Is what Jesus accomplished. And to know that love is to be affected by it. If we truly know what Jesus did on the, on the cross. And how much he loves us. To have willingly laid his life down. To allow himself to be nailed to a cross. And, and put up as a spectacle. If we truly understand the amount of love that it took him to do that for me. And my life's going to be affected by that. And if it's affected by that, then it's going to show itself in that same type of love for other people. That that love is going to transform me. It's going to set me free from, from selfish ambition. It's going to set me free to, to become enslaved. To not throw around my need to, to have my rights met. But I'm going to be willing to lay it all aside to serve. To put other people first. And while it may not make sense, we find true freedom in serving and loving others. We find true freedom in becoming a slave to other people. Now there's a lot of things in the Bible that don't make sense. This is one of them. Because it seems like true freedom would mean free to do, not free to serve. But when we throw the sinful nature aside, when we, when, we, when we cast off, when we get rid of the sinful nature, when we're no longer driven by self, then the true gospel can come out. Then what we really have been created to do and serve one another can happen. Paul says freedom 
comes from service. And this, this is service over selfishness, and it's the key to not follow, falling off the tightrope. You see, the, the law doesn't transform us. Legalism doesn't transform us. It might change our behavior, but it doesn't change our heart. To have a list of rules that must be followed doesn't change our heart. It may change the outward appearance. It may change the, the behavior, but it doesn't change the heart. And God is after the heart. God wants to transform us. And just simply saying, well, grace will cover me and I can do whatever I say doesn't change the heart either. But service does. Love changes the heart. Sanctification is, is all about the Holy Spirit working on the inside, changing, transforming the heart. He says the place to start is in, in service to others. That the transformation of salvation is Christ changing us from a biting and devouring people to a loving, caring, serving people. We can't gain favor or acceptance with God by keeping the law, by, by being good, by doing right. That doesn't gain acceptance to God. Because we can never be good enough. Because we have that sin nature that keeps pulling us in, tipping us one way or the other. And so trying to find acceptance with God by being good is futile. You'll never do it. We would have to keep every bit of the law perfectly. And I don't know about you, but I already screwed that one up. So trying to do that still isn't going to work. But we can be accepted by God through faith in Christ, who is sinless, who is perfect. And once we have been accepted, we shall keep the law by loving God and loving people. You see, we still have an obligation to keep the law. But until we've placed our faith in Christ, we don't have the ability to do it. But once we gain that acceptance, once we've placed faith in Christ as our Savior, as the one who can forgive, who will cleanse, who will, who will help remove that sin nature, who gives us a new nature, a new creation, that once we've done that, then with Christ comes the power and the ability to fulfill the law. Not in a legalistic way but in a serving, loving way. Our justification doesn't depend on the law, but it depends on Christ's death. And our sanctification, being made holy, consists in the fulfillment of the law in our life. Listen to what Paul tells the Romans. He said, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned this sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, love is the balance. That idea of serving one another is the balance. In fact, Paul says love is the fulfillment of the law. If we're looking to fulfill the law, then it's done through serving and loving. And we can't do serving and loving until Jesus has forgiven us and given us the power to do it. 
Paul quotes actually here in, in Galatians chapter nine, chapter five, he quotes Leviticus nineteen eighteen, where he says, "Love your neighbor as yourself." That's the whole fulfillment. It all the whole law boils down to this: love your neighbor as yourself. True freedom is freedom and law coming together in love. True freedom is that legalistic law and that indulgence, that freedom coming together through the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us then to love and serve one another and in so doing, fulfill the law. And love always propels us to do more. Love never settles for the bare minimum. Love's never happy with the bare minimum. It it always needs to to drive us to do more. It's a higher call. Jesus' first sermon was laying the foundation for what the sanctified life looks like. He was laying the foundation for what it means to walk this tightrope, to live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to, to be made holy. And He quotes the law. And then He raises the standard. He says, you've heard that it was said that the law says don't murder. Love says don't get angry. Love says don't call someone a fool or an idiot. Love says seek reconciliation. Not just murder. Not just don't do murder. But let's back it way up here and don't even get angry. Don't call someone a fool. Always seek reconciliation. That's balance. That's serving one another in love. He says the law says don't commit adultery. Love says don't look lustfully at another person. Don't even head down that road. The law says love your neighbor. Love says love your neighbor and pray for your enemies. See, the law says love your neighbor... But the person who's walking the tightrope, who's maintaining balance through the Holy Spirit, says not just your neighbor, but again, love your enemy and pray for them. And a friend of mine on Facebook this week that acknowledged the fact he he was listening to to President Obama at the prayer breakfast this week. He, He listened to his speaking at the National Prayer Breakfast. And he said that for maybe for the first time he considered that there was some spiritual life in this man. That there was some truth. There was something there. And he said, I, I'm praying for him. And then he acknowledged later in that day that he actually had people unfriend him because of that statement. I'm not saying the president is an enemy, but serving one another in love is praying for each other. Is seeking out good, seeking out truth. The true test of Christian living, the true balance, is serving in love, Paul says. Don't, don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. But rather... Instead of that, instead of sliding down that slippery slope, gain your balance and serve one another in love. And love is not dependent on the worthiness of the person being loved. He didn't say love the lovely. 
love your enemy. Love all those you come in contact with. Serve one another. Be enslaved in love to everyone you come across. Now, if we're going to live life like this, then the other two words we better have down. Because that's a pretty high call. To serve one another in love. To enslave ourselves to them. That means the second thing, this whole idea of crucified. Paul says in verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature. You want to stop indulging the sinful nature? Then kill it. That's what crucify means, to execute. It's not a passive word. It's not a, it's, it's, we're not going to slide into serving one another. Crucify the sinful nature. And, and notice that this is something we do. Salvation that was done for us by Christ was provided for us by Christ. And even sanctification is a, is a work of the Holy Spirit in us. But there is a point where we act. There is a point where we've gotten fed up with the sin nature. And we put it to death. That we come to a point where we're tired of the struggle. We talked about the struggle last week and that, that whole civil war going on inside of us. There's a point where we get tired of the battle and we just have to put to death. We have to crucify the sin nature. It's an active choice on our part. It's not something we can wait for the Holy Spirit to do. This is our working with the Holy Spirit. This is our part of maintaining the balance. It's our work to crucify. We, we call it a crisis experience in our sanctification to, to kind of use the theological terms. That this is a crisis experience that, that's a point in time where we fully surrender, where we said, I'm done with the battle. That would be great if that was a one-time deal, wouldn't it? A.B. Simpson says, when we acknowledge Christ as our all-sufficient one, that He secured my future, He secured my eternal life, He entered the transaction to replace all of my sin, my strength, my conflicts, my temptations, my weakness, my needs for His life. And when we come to the point that we say, I've had enough of my own sin nature, I need to crucify He's, Simpson goes on to say, many of us have been taught that the normal Christian life is a ceaseless struggle between two natures in the human soul. And we talked about that, that, that a civil war rages within us. He says, it, it, two natures in the, in the human soul, the evil and the good within us. And that a Christian is a sort of menagerie of wild beasts, with the keeper and the savage brutes continually in war. Remember I said last week that the moment we place our faith in Christ, that, that we enter in, that a civil war breaks out. And what Simpson is saying is that the struggle is not the normal Christian life. Because if we will crucify the sin nature, then the sin nature is greatly diminished in its battle to be able to even rage a war. That it's not the normal condition of the Christian. But that battle is, is preparation 
of that true experience of peace, that true experience of rest. What, what Leslie was reading about uh, in, in Revelation 21 and, and 20 and 21, 22, that there's coming a time when we enter into that final rest, that final peace, that final victory. And Paul is saying that can be your normal daily experience. That your normal experience doesn't have to be the civil war. Where some days you win and some days you lose. That we can be moving toward victory. And yeah, we're going to get beat occasionally. But remember I said it's not, sanctification is not that we become sinless. It's just that we sin less. Because we can maintain the balance. Because we understand that it's not about me. And we understand that we need to crucify that, that sin nature within us, the thing that pulls us, that, that throws us off balance. So that when the battle comes, when the struggle's there, when the bad news, when the, when the injured spirit, when the temptation rises, that our choice is to turn it all over to the Spirit. That our, our choice is to turn it all over. We don't need to entertain the battle. Crucify the sin nature. It has no say in what we do. It has no life in our life. And it's our choice. Who's going to fight that battle? Are we going to fight it? Because if we're fighting it, we haven't crucified the sinful nature. Or do we turn it over and let God fight it? That we allow God to, to change. That we allow God to, to begin that, to, to continue that transforming of us. It is a battle. It is a struggle. The sin nature will not die easily, but it must continually be put down. Daily, moment by moment. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, we looked at a few, probably months ago at this point, for through the law I died to the law. So that I might live for God, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. When we surrender the sin self, when we crucify the sin nature, I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. When temptation comes, we take every thought captive because every sin begins with a thought. And then if, this, if we crucify the sin nature, then we take that thought and we do what with the thought? We turn it over to Christ. We allow the Holy Spirit to decide, is this a good thought or a bad thought? Is this something I need to step into or is this something I need to step away from? James tells us that when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. If we kill the desire, 
sin is not conceived. It's when we entertain the desire, when we've not crucified the sinful nature with its desires and passions, when we've not crucified it, when we've not turned it over to the authority of the Holy Spirit, when we still entertain the thought, when we still entertain the desire, when we start to lean and say, this probably isn't that bad. Paul says, or James says, you're dragged away. Hopefully kicking and screaming. But you're dragged away and enticed and then sin is conceived and then when sin gives birth, it, it, it leads to death. That if we crucify the sinful nature, we can maintain the balance. If we take every thought captive, if we turn those things, that part of our life, over to the Holy Spirit's guidance, to His direction, to His control... We need to strangle sin at the motivational level. See, I, I'm as a pastor, I'm not really concerned what you do. My biggest question is, why do you do it? I, I'm not concerned about what. Sin, not sin, is this sin, is this right, is this wrong? I'm more concerned with why. Because it's at that motivational level, it's at the why level when, when we start to entertain sin. And when we stop the temptation process at any point, it allows the Holy Spirit to fight the battle for us. We no longer do the fighting. The Galatian churches... Were churches in conflict. There's a lot of internal fighting. Half of the obvious acts of the sinful nature last week that we looked at, half of those were just relational, interpersonal sins. Sin is a choice. Nobody forces us to sin, we choose to sin. When we entertain the desire, when we entertain the thought, And if when we are tempted, if when the thought, the, the idea, the desire first presents itself, if we call upon the Holy Spirit, if we choose to give it to God, the hope is in the Holy Spirit gaining victory over the sin nature because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. That God can conquer. God can overcome. God can enable us to maintain balance. But our part in that is crucifying the sinful nature. Is putting an end to it. And that is only possible with the third word. So we're to serve one another in love, and that's going to be impossible unless we crucify the sinful nature. And, if, and we can only crucify the simple, sinful nature if this third word in verse 16 and verse 25, this idea of stepping with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 16 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You know, if you watch that tightrope walker, they are one foot 
right in front of the other. And they don't move that back foot until that first one is firmly planted and they know they can shift their weight and move to the next one. And they go one step at a time. Maintaining their balance. And when things start to get off, I've actually seen them start to take a step and go back. Because it wasn't the right step. Their weight had shifted in the wrong direction. And so we are, Paul is saying, we need to stay in step with the Spirit. That we go where He goes. This is the normal Christian life. In step with the Spirit. Walking with the Spirit, by the Spirit. We have to stay focused. That tightrope walker has to stay focused. He's not walking. If he's going across that, that gorge in the Grand Canyon, he's not taking in all the sights. He's not, oh, that is cool over there. Because you know where he's going. He's going over there. No, he's either looking dead ahead or he's watching right in front of him to know where that next foot goes. Most of the time, they're just looking dead ahead. They've got to stay completely focused on what their, their goal is, their object is. And our object is the Holy Spirit. And we have to stay dead focused on the Holy Spirit, on what He's doing, on where He's going, what transformation, what changes He's bringing into our life. What things that we're facing, you know, the wind conditions changed a little bit, got a little dangerous today. But you know what? I relied on the Holy Spirit. I turned that temptation over. I turned that thought over. And, and He helped me maintain the balance. I didn't entertain the thought. Our sanctification has two parts. That crisis part where we initially crucify the sinful nature. We come to the point where we are just done with it. And I can't do this struggle. I can't do this battle. And so we put to death the sin nature. And then we begin living and walking by the Holy Spirit. That's the experiential part where it's day by day now. Living, walking, relying, calling upon. Where we live out, we follow the leading. We, we, don't, we don't take a step until we know the Spirit moves. Now I'm not saying, okay, I need to go buy groceries. I need to pray about, do I need to go buy groceries now? Do I need to go to this store? What do they... That's not what I'm saying. If you need to buy groceries, you just go buy groceries. But where people are concerned, when it comes to serving one another, maybe while we're at the grocery store, we need to be praying, how can we impact the people that we're coming in contact with? How can I serve them? What what step do I need? Where is the Holy Spirit leading me? in the normal routines of the day. Because we can get wrapped up in the routines and we're just walking. Right? Most of the time we're not walking in a straight line. Because we're not focused. If I go into the grocery store, I am a nut. Because I don't know where anything is. And I have a list. So I start on the list. Okay, I know this is in produce. Find it. Uh, I'm wondering where this one is. Let's look down the line. And I, I can make three or four passages up and down through the, through my, or through the grocery store or through Marsh walking around trying to find the one because I just don't know where everything is. 
We're not to live life that way. You may shop that way. But we're not to live life that way. Just meandering, just bouncing from thing to thing. No, the Holy Spirit wants to guide, wants to direct. He has plans for us. He has desires, He has purpose for us. And it's when we are focused on Him, when we are crucified the sinful nature, when we are looking, being intentional with ways to serve others, He's going to open doors. He's going to bring people into our path. And we're going to know it. Because we're looking for it. We're expecting Him to move. That the Spirit wants to bring us into a whole new realm of existence. A new reality in how we live. A new normal where we begin to to develop a sensitivity to what is contrary to God's will. Where we begin to develop a sensitivity to what other people's needs are. We begin to develop a new standard of values. And each time we crucify the sin nature, each time we allow the Holy Spirit to live through us, we gain a victory over sin. We put one more stake in the sin nature. It would be great if we could completely kill it, but we can't. But we can sure diminish its power. We can sure make it irrelevant. Irregular. The Spirit grows in us and the sin nature dies. This, This process of replacing the old self, of doing away with the old nature... Replacing it with the Spirit. Depending on the Spirit, not self. Depending upon God to to direct and guide our thoughts, not self. Serving others, not self. Accepting others, not biting and devouring. And what's the outcome? The Spirit produces new fruit in us. Fruit by which we are known. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now this is not an exhaustive list any more than the acts of the sinful nature is an exhaustive list. Because humility is not on there. That would be a good one. Mercy isn't on there. Grace isn't on there. But those are all still fruit that need to be produced in us. For the Spirit-filled Christian, for the one walking in balance, these these fruit are just as obvious as the sin nature and the one who's not. They need to be just as obvious. People need to look at us and think, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what they need to see. when they, That needs to be obvious in the way we live our life. And the only way to do that is serving one another in love, crucifying the sin nature, and keeping in step with the Spirit. Moment by moment. The new normal. And this is not a passive submission to Christ. This is an intentional choice, moment by moment, to follow the Spirit daily. Think of how many military terms Paul has used here that I've referred to that this is a military term. You know, indulgence, this is a military term. This this is a military term. And, And he's using it over and over again because this is a battle. This is war. And the good news is we can win it. We can be victorious over the sin nature, over the struggle. 
The Christian life is an intentional decision to follow, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's ultimate desire is not to develop our character. It's not to, de- to develop a list of human virtues. The, the fruit of the Spirit, as I said, is not an exhaustive list. His ultimate desire, you know what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life? Conform you to the image of God's Son. So it's not about character development. It's not about living virtues because we can easily make that legalistic. The Holy Spirit just wants to take your life and change it and to make it look like Jesus. Galatians 2.20 for, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. That's what the Spirit wants to do. And it's a conscious choice on your part to let Him do it. To do your part in crucifying the sin nature. To be intentional in the way we, we, we walk with others. He told the Colossian church, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. That's the new normal. Fullness in Christ. Keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Walking where He leads. Not leaning, not sliding. Focused upon Him. Taking every thought captive. Father, we need You. We can go through life and we can do good things. But Father, we need You to make an impact. We need You to to do right things, to do the best things. We need You to transform us. Father, I pray here this morning that if there are those that are still toyed with, with parts of the sin nature, that they've not completely crucified it, Father, give them that crisis experience. Give them that, that, that fed up state right now to just end it. Father, help us to daily crucify the sin nature. That even that is not a one-time deal. The experience shows us that it's moment by moment. Help us to take every thought captive. Father, that we might truly serve one another. That we might be known by the fruit. That we might be known as a person led by the Holy Spirit. Father, help us to give our lives completely to you. Father, wake us up. Lord, get get us out of our slumber. Get us out of our rut. Get us out of our routine. Help us to find this new normal that comes only through your Spirit. Father, help us to surrender. In Jesus' name, amen.
soul and sing for the world you love your will be done let your will be done in me in your presence in your power
desire Here's how Paul explained it to the Colossians. Chapter 3, he said, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. That used to be normal for you in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here then is there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive what grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Go out this week. Find ways to serve. Find ways to love one another. Continue to crucify that sin nature. Continue to get victory. Continue to live in the new normal. Amen? Amen.